Passing Dimes is over the moon to partner with Betstamp. Betstamp is a mobile app in the sports betting space that shows you the odds from every sports book in one spot. Do you enjoy betting on the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, World Cup, or more? With Betstamp, you can compare the best available odds at one sportsbook versus the worst odds at another sportsbook all in one place. Go to the App Store today and download Betstamp for free and use code DIMES. That's D-I-M-E-S. For a limited time, Betstamp is offering you, a friend of the show, an opportunity to learn more about Betstamp and several sportsbooks where you can get an edge in online sports betting. Message the Passing Dimes Instagram or Facebook account for more information. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He's actually reached out. He's a friend of the show, and we're glad we could finally get an interview for him. So he grew up playing for the KW Preds. He's a Ken Davies Award winner through the OVA. He's also represented the OVA with Team Ontario and at the Canada Games. And he's currently a Waterloo Warrior. Please welcome to the show, Will McIntyre. Will, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks, Josh. It's uh, Again, I've been watching, uh, listening to the show for a while now, so it's great to, to finally be on. Looking forward to it. So I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with your career a little bit with what you accomplished with the Preds, like winning 18U, you winning the Ken Davies. But uh, let's take it from the top. I'm wondering if a lot of us just assume you're so good at volleyball because your dad's such a good coach. But I'm curious, uh, what other sports were you playing growing up before you got hooked on volleyball? Oh, man, uh, too many to count, really. Growing up, did a lot of soccer, uh, swimming, loved the racket sports, too. My dad's a big fan of squash, so played a lot of squash with him. And uh, I also did triathlons when I was growing up as well. So kind of all over the map with uh, different types of sports, but then really found volleyball was my, my favorite. So stuck with that um, as I was growing up. Now, were you a bit of a gym rat when he was coaching in the OUA or he had uh, kind of given up that gig when you guys came along? I specifically remember being like probably four or five and being in the Laurier gym. So um, just a little bit at the end, um of his coaching career i would i would have been there um but then he did he switched to real estate and then started coaching coaching me uh in club nice so what are some of your early memories of club uh i think in your era you could have started as young as like 13 U, right yeah so we actually started before that um we had a really special group where we started club when we were on nine so I think I played in the 13U age group uh, four straight years. <laughs> and two of them, we didn't win a single set. And the one, the year, the third year, we won a few games. And then in 13U, I believe we got, we got third at Provincials. So it was, it was really fun to keep on trying at that age group and grow up um, playing volleyball as, and starting as early as we did. Yeah, so I'm curious now that you're in youth sports and you can kind of look back on this. Did that really help your development where you you had to play a, a rotation middle? You had to play every position in the back row like uh, it was before your time. But obviously, like a lot of positions were specialized and you kind of got locked in early where if you're the tall kid, you probably played middle. Your era learned how to play every position. Like when you look back, is that a pretty good development? Like, did you enjoy it? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think it was good for our middles too to get those uh, those passing reps in as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't think that I ever played middle because we always set out of the middle in 13U. Um, but yeah, playing, like playing right side hitting, I mean, as a libero now, I love that. So <laughs> I think it was, I think it was really good for our development though, to start that young. Um, and then also just to play in that triple ball and getting those, those reps from all around the court. Now, the Preds deserve a lot of credit in the development, and I think there's a ton of good coaches, but I'm curious, as an athlete coming through, what do you think the secret sauce is? Like, obviously, you playing when you were nine years old up probably helps a lot, but uh, mm-hmm. what have the Preds done to make them, like, a top club? Because on the boys' side, it seems like every cycle has a good team right now. Well, I think coaching, first and foremost, I mean, we're really, really lucky to have the, the coaches that we have. I mean, like, well, my dad, obviously, I give him some credit there. And then <laughs> Lisa Watson, too, on the girls' side is an incredible coach. And then Paul Pavin as well. Um, just, I mean, I could list so many. Um, and another thing that I think they do really well is having some really cool summer summer camp programming. Like, over the summer, they always have some great, like, high-quality, high-performance volleyball camps that I remember growing up um, doing almost every summer. And just bringing people from different clubs even to uh, to play for 
spreads over the summer really helped us get athletes as well later on in our uh, club years. And then also just um, like grow as volleyball players. Um, so again, coaching and those summer camps were two things that two things that come to mind. Yeah, that's such a good point when you talk about getting athletes, because I think in Ontario, there, there's a lot of clubs in certain regions that are driving distance to other clubs. And you see it at 17U and 18U where people start to leave their clubs to go to another one where you guys are kind of a destination where I think in Ontario on the boys side, the destination is typically Pac-Man. So uh, how did you guys kind of deal with that stress where like you've been playing with your buddies since they were nine, but now your team's good and more guys want to come be a part of it? Like, how did you guys balance the the camaraderie of like, Hey, we've had this good team. We're good. We don't need these extra guys versus like at tryouts. Hey, let's add this guy or let's add this guy. That's a great question. Um, I think it was pretty natural because every player that came onto our team over the years fit in perfectly with our group. And we got to a point where we had like 15 guys on our roster in 17 years, which is a pretty, pretty big team for club volleyball. So we just kept on expanding. Um, and in our 18-year year, we had a guy coming from Chatham, people coming from Hamilton, Toronto, London. Like we, we were really a diverse club that all played for KW, but there's only three or four of us that were actually from the area. Um, but again, I just think it comes down to the character of the guys that we brought in. And it was, it was really cool that they fit in as well as they did and that they helped us be successful. Now, one thing I always liked about your club is, yes, you play up. And I think in Ontario, a lot of teams play up because it just makes sense to do so and get more tournaments that way. But you guys weren't playing up and playing in the lower divisions. You were playing up and sometimes being in premier of the age group above you. So what was some of the messaging from the coaches or the leaders on your team that like, doesn't matter if you're playing your age group or an age group above, you're going to win that tournament? Mm -hmm. I think uh, just reading that winning culture beforehand and like just a belief that, Hey, we can do this. I think that goes back to when we first started club, we were three or four years younger than everyone else. And we are still trying to, trying to win. Um, and back then it was trying to win 10 points in a set or, and then now we can win a set. Whereas when I got to 16, U, we were playing the 17, U grand prix, um, which was a really cool experience for us. We were now, we now had a goal to finish top five and it was pretty cool to see the progression of how we started trying to win a set in 13U to now being in a 16U age group playing in 17U at the Grand Prix and having a goal to finish in the top five, which we did end up doing. And, uh, yeah, I think that was, again, just a belief that we, we could do it um, and also having the skill of the players to do it as well. Now, if you don't mind letting me behind the curtain a little bit, what were some of the practices like? Because I think for you to be a Canada games level player is impressive, but to do it as a libero and setter is even more impressive. But what I mean by that is you need so many reps to become excellent at those positions, but they're opposite. If you're practicing serve receive, you're not mm -hmm. setting the second ball. And if you're setting, you're certainly not getting those reps of seeing serves come at you. So yeah. was that something that Preds were just really good at that? It didn't matter if you were a setter or a middle or whatever, everyone's going to pass the ball. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I mean, we had our middles passing in 15 U still. Um, and then just from my end as a libero and setter, it would really be like, Hey, on one court, I'm going to set. And on the other court, I'm going to do server seed. And when other guys are doing server seed reps at the start of practice, I would set for half the time and then flip. And in our 18 year, we were lucky. We had three setters, including me, and we had two liberos. So it was pretty easy to just rotate through. Um, so when I wasn't setting, I was just passing and playing defense as a lib. Uh, but it, that's a good point where sometimes you do lose out on reps but i think it's it's more valuable actually to be playing in those different positions to get a different feel for the game at the same time um, and you can always make up the reps after practice or before practice as well um, which again i think the club is really good at and our coaching staff was really open to those extra reps before and after practice so before we get to your Canada Games stuff, I'm curious, what was your entry point into the Team Ontario program? Were you a regional games guy first? Like, did you do Ontario Summer Games? Or what was your first chance to play either for your region or for Team O? Uh, so it was 14 years of regional team, yeah. So I was on Region 3. where We actually won the Ontario Summer Games as well. So that was my first experience at Team O at Guelph. And yeah, that was a super fun introduction. Um, again, lots of the coaches that coached me there ended up coaching me 
later on uh, through Timo. So it was a really cool opening experience to high performance volleyball. And I think the, I think the OBA does a really good job of that um, because yeah, I think there were two or three of us actually on that OSG team that ended up being on the Kenny games team um, as well. So that's pretty cool to see those progressions over time. For sure. For sure. And I think Timo does a really good job. And one thing that I'm always fascinated about is everybody's ultra competitive and you play for your club and they play for their club, but you find a way to get along. And I'm wondering how you manage that where you can be friends with these guys, but you never wanted to go join Pac-Man or you never wanted to join this club where it's like, I'll be friends with jazz when we're at team O, but when we play 18, U, uh, whatever the cup tournament is that weekend, like you want to beat them down. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it was really cool with our age group. How we did kind of turn that competitive switch on and off. So we were, we were super close with Pac-Man. It was kind of our, our battle every year between us and Pac-Man. Um, but off the court, like those guys are some, some great friends and great guys too. Um, and through Timo, you kind of get to meet them as well. But even before that, just through club, we, we've been playing together against each other for so long. You get to know the other guys really well. And um, yeah, on the court, obviously we're competing, but off the court, I think those are, they're great guys, great friends as well. Now, your generation was dealt a pretty tough hand with COVID kind of interrupting a big part of your club career, but you also had a pretty gnarly injury that interrupted even like the training opportunities you had. So just take me through that. Did you get that through volleyball or how did you end up uh, doing your knee? So it's actually my hip, uh, both hips and yes and no. So it's called uh, FAI, which I believe is femoroacetabular impingement. And I tore my labrum, which is the cartilage of my hip. Um, and basically the reasoning is because a genetics just dealt a tough hand that way that I got extra bone on my femur that caused it to pinch in my hip. And I was playing actually with, with Nick Mitrovich, who's on Pac-Man and Kenny games as well, playing beach volleyball with them over the summer during COVID. And I dove for a ball and felt something go in my hip. And I had to stop the game at that point. Wasn't really sure what was going on. And I believe this was July of. 2021. So last summer, last, last summer, and kind of went a month without things getting better. I was playing a practice a little bit, but couldn't move side to side really well. And it got to the point where I had some imaging done where they starting to believe that, Hey, maybe it's not just a hip flexor issue. It could be something else. And ended up getting an MRI, which uh, showed me that I had a torn labrum in my right hip, which was tough news to hear because this was right as the club season was starting. I believe this was in, this would have been in August of 2021. Um, so right before club season starts. And I got scheduled for surgery on November 8th of 2021. So got that done. Everything was looking good in terms of recovery. And as I was putting more weight on my left hip, I started to feel similar feeling in my other hip. So more imaging, got another surgery date for December 10th. Turns out I did have another torn labrum on my left side and ended up stacking two surgery recoveries on top of each other. So one surgery on my right hip on November 8th and left hip on December 10th uh, while club season was going on. So yeah, that was, it was tough for sure. Um, but I did end up playing at Provincials. And uh, yeah, it was for sure a whirlwind time there, but um, I ended up okay in the end. Yeah, I don't I don't want to over-dramatize it. And obviously you're still playing, which is great. But that injury, when you first talked to the doctors at any point, were they kind of like, this might be career-ending? Like, that's a very serious injury to come back for them and do it in both hips. Like, was there ever a point in time where you're like, I don't think I can play competitive sport anymore? Oh, lots. Throughout that recovery process, I think if you asked me two weeks before provincials if I was going to play, I would have said no, 100%. Um, I mean, it had been nine months off before the provincial semifinal, which was the first time I played. Um, so, yeah, there were lots, lots of ups and downs. Um, and, yeah, just kind of grinding through the physio, still doing physio 30 minutes a day, uh, even today. But... Yeah, it was, there were lots of ups and downs. It was not a pretty road, um, but I'm, I'm glad that I pushed through it and it ended up paying off. 
Yeah, without getting too personal here, because obviously you're you're a very gifted student, and I'm sure you got a lot going for you. But volleyball, the level you're playing at, I'm sure it creeps into your identity a little bit, right? So when that's taken away for nine months, like if you don't mind, if it's not too personal, how did you deal with that? Like, were you still in the gym with your guys? Were you keeping a journal? Like, how did you battle? Kind of maybe not your favorite thing, but maybe top three favorite things that you're just not allowed to do now. Yeah, a few things. So a, I think volleyball was a huge part of my identity, and kind of, and still is. And having that time away from the sport, I think, was really tough in the moment, but allowed me to realize how grateful I am to be playing. Um, but there are a few things that I did. Never missed a practice. So on the 9th of November, which I think was, we had a Wednesday practice, I still showed up the day after my surgery, and I just refused to miss a practice for the entire season. So I'm glad that I stuck with that um because it's great to just be with the guys shaking balls doing my rehab exercises in the corner um and then i also set a goal for myself to make to get 500 volleyball contacts a day so i'd sit in my room bumping a ball up against the wall or setting to myself so 500 volleyball contacts a day just to stay sane honestly when i was just sitting there in my room doing doing rehab exercises all day um and yeah, those are the two main things that I did. I think my teammates were amazing in making me feel part of the team still. Um, I was tossing balls and warm up, shaking. Um, and if I was ever sore, then I could just sit outside and, and watch through the window. But yeah, I think just being a part of the team and being involved in volleyball, even when I wasn't playing, was a huge part of being able to stay mentally all right at the same time. Um, because yeah, when you play a sport for as long as I have when it gets taken away suddenly, especially after COVID. It was a it was a tough, tough pill to swallow for sure. Now you mentioned even a couple of weeks leading into Ontario Championships, you weren't sure you're gonna be able to play. So what was that first practice like or even like that first pepper session where you're kind of like, can I put weight on this? Like were you pretty hesitant or were you so excited you're like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes? Super hesitant. Um I remember my physiotherapist saying that it's not going to be your ability to play. It's going to be your perceived ability to play that determines how well you actually can do the actions in the sport. So my hips could handle it, but it was a tough mental block to get past. And I remember the first practice where I was kind of fully back. It was about a week before provincials and I was playing pepper and it was a pretty emotional moment because that had been the first time I'd played pepper in nine months. Which again, like playing pepper is something you take for granted. But when you can't do it, you realize just how much you miss it. Um, and yeah, again, so glad to have gotten past that um, because it really made me realize how much I love the sport at the end of the day. Now, did any of this uh, help that uh, I think? the OVA does a great job. And I think Rim Park is the home for Ontario championships. Like, do you get like an extra little, just a little bit fired up because it is like a hometown tournament, you know what the court's going to feel like, like does Preds always fire up for OCs just because that venue's like, it is home for you guys. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we set a goal at the start of the season to, to win provincials. And I think that that was on our mind, every practice and every rep, like someone would mention it at least once every practice. And I think that that was a, a big motivator for the guys who were on the court, but then also me, who was not able to have as big of an impact um, in my recovery to be able to make an impact on the court eventually. So I think having those goals and being able to host provincials at home is a really, really cool atmosphere. And I think the provincial final showed that where we had a, a good crowd and a good amount of people from around the area who showed up to watch us. I think that that's something really cool that Rim Park does and the OBA does. Now, how did the tournament feel uh, physically, mentally for you? Because 18 new boys uh, provincial format right now is pretty unforgiving. Like every game is mm -hmm. meaningful. Like it's not the similar format where like all 24 teams start off. Like it's tiered right from the beginning. Every match matters. So you didn't really get a chance to see how warm the water was, right? So were you nervous that first game? Like how did it feel as the tournament started to unfold? So we had a tough start. Um, I think we won one game in pool play, actually. We came third in our pool of four. Um, so that was a tough opening day. Um, I got subbed in for a few rotations, and that was my first in-game experience in 
three, two years because of COVID as well. So that was a whole other unexpected turn where it was like, whoa, I'm actually, I'm actually playing in a game that matters, uh, which hasn't happened in a long time. Um, and then from there, we again had a more difficult second day. I think we only won two games. So going into the final day, it, it, it seemed like things were not going great at provincials, but we were able to turn it around when our quarterfinal, semifinal, and then ultimately the, the final as well. Um, yeah. Remind me, who was that quarterfinal? Because obviously, like you said, you guys weren't playing that well, but your goal is always to win. You've been doing well your whole OVA career. Like, what was the mood leading into that quarter? Um, it was it was mixed. I think we really believed that we could do it, but I think at the same time, the past two days had been on our mind. But after our tough first day, we had a great team meeting, actually. All the players went out for uh, for dinner that, that night without any coaches. And it was our first time the entire season that we'd actually went out of a way to schedule something just as a group together. And I think that that moment really brought us together and fired us up for the next day. And we actually played Reach. So again, Dennis, Dennis Cota was on that team. Um, so I think we won 3 nothing that game, which was, again, a great start. It was our first game uh, throughout the throughout the season had always been our worst in every every tournament. So to start a day with a win like that really set the tone. Um, and then we played Unity in the semifinal, and that was a five-setter long game that we ended up winning in the, in the fifth set, I believe 15-13. So, yeah, it all started with that first match, and I think that it was just a belief of coming together, um, giving it everything we got for our final day. Um, yeah. yeah that's so cool to hear about the dinner and not have like coaches and parents there but I, I gotta know behind the scenes were you guys it was it a big rah-rah meeting you were talking about volleyball or were you honestly just hanging out with your friends and you're talking about school or whatever else is going on I think that was the coolest part that there's if I remember correctly there wasn't much volleyball getting talked about it was more us actually coming together and having more personal conversations and just enjoying our time together um, and it 100% helped us uh, in the next day and the day after that. Yeah, that's so cool. Thanks for sharing that story. So you you get to the finals and you're playing Big Back Pac-Man, who uh, my guy, Caden mm -hmm. Smith, and I, I think they had Nicola and they had a few other guys that yeah. like Pac-Man is going to win warm up probably, right? Like there, but oh, you guys yeah. are going to have a good crowd. So what was it like being like, you're playing this physical being that is the Pac-Man guys versus like you guys who are super skilled, super technical, like you got a hometown crowd. Like to me, it was just a perfect mix of emotions for a championship game, but I didn't have to be on the court like you did. So what was the feeling going into 18 U championships. I mean, it's it had been a nine year process to get there. Um, so we were in the provincial final against Pac-Man in 15 U as well, which is our last time playing them, and we we've lost almost every time we've been in that situation. So every practice, again, our goal was to get to that point in the final, and we got there against Big Bad Pac-Man, of course. <laughs> and yeah, you were right; they definitely won the warm up. They got some really physical players, Caden, Owen, uh, Nick. Those are some big names. Um, but I think we trusted our system and trusted the depth that we had as a team. And yeah, it, it ended up working out. And there are some, there are some huge moments in that game um, that I feel like we just as a group took a step up and performed. And yeah, really proud of how we how we handled that situation um, in one of the biggest stages that we could. Now, I think it's almost an overused term is trust. But when I got to watch that game, because mm -hmm. I was I was lucky enough to be asked to be the commentator and Ian uh, knows your dad really well. So we kind of had a hint mm -hmm. of what the game plan was. But well, when I say trust, the, the strategy early on was to go at their front row left side and say, if you guys are going to bang balls, we're going to make you play defense. We're going to make you serve receive. We're going to make you touch the ball a lot here. So what was the trust with the coaching staff and each other where you know, there was times where Caden would take a ball in his hand, swing outside and hit a one-on-one -on -one and score. Right. So, at, at, but at no point did it seem like you guys looked at the bench being like, coach, we got to serve somebody else. Like, how did you keep plugging away and chipping away and being tough on this game plan where every once in a while you give up a couple of loud points, right? I think 
our serving strategy was to just consistently go after that front row left side down the line. Um, and we had been trying it all year um, and we saw varied success, but near the end, turning right before provincials, we saw some, some really positive um, outcomes from that. And again, there's going to be moments where like, I think Caden hit over top of me a few times, like we'll give them, we'll give them a few of those, of those, High quality moments, but I think just trusting that our coaching staff had watched enough video, we had watched enough video, we know that this strategy is going to work. And then just again, our, our defense around around our blockers, and we, we trusted that. And again, trust is a word used a lot, but I think it's the it's the right one where we trusted our coaching staff, we trusted the guys who were coming off the bench, um, and yeah, we trusted ourselves. Now, how did you control the emotions of that match? Because we've talked about how the hometown crowd can be a benefit, but it can also like spike where things are, when things are going well, they might seem like they're going a little too well. Or when things are down, now it's really quiet, right? Like, how do you not get swept up in, you know, the distraction of the audience versus like, how are we going to earn the next point? We had a thing as a team where no matter what point happened at time before, we come together with our hands high. And in that huddle, we would talk about how everyone's feeling. And I always love to say this. It's like our go-to saying that pressure is for tires. Um, again, just making a little a little smile here and there can go a long way in those high-pressure moments. So again, just coming together, um, trusting, trusting our teammates and trusting that we, we live for these high-pressure moments. Um, but yeah, the crowd is huge. There are, there are a lot of people there. It's good to see for 18U uh, club provincials. So, yeah, I think that we just handled the situation well because we came together and had been in those situations before. <laughs> Now, obviously, a, a club the size of Preds, I don't think it'd be impossible to know every single athlete, but I'm curious, is there much interaction between the men's and women's teams? And the reason I bring that up is you both played 18U finals. So was there an urge to cheer each other on or like you both had your own business to accomplish that day? Like, I think they played first, so maybe it was a little more challenging for you guys to cheer them on, but also be focused and preparing for your own match, right? Yeah, they played before us, I believe, that day, right? Um, but we called them our sister team because they started the exact same time that we did and we would practice together um, for every practice uh, up until 18U actually because of COVID they had to split us apart but we'd still have one practice a week where we were in the same gym together and up until around 15U they would destroy us like we would play them in practice and they would kick our butts like I think that playing the girls team synergy was a great way for us to actually improve our passing and team defense when we were younger because they just outperformed us and they're way more physical than us when we were younger. Um, but yeah, I think our connection with that team was really cool. Um, cheering them on at nationals when they actually won the national championship was a another really cool experience to kind of show our support when they showed their support for, for our game because yeah, they were also a really special team and it was amazing to be able to grow up with them. And just the dynamics of the Preds, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this and if it was something you guys kind of talked about within the team or if coaches kind of influenced this. But when you say you had three setters on your team, like I'm looking at rosters and one of them's a TMU. So you guys have two university setters with Evan being another top setter, but mm -hmm. there's coaches out there who are like, oh, if you have you know, setters are like sports cars. If you have two, you can only drive one, right? If you have two setters, you have no setters. Like, well, it's a one person position with a five, one system, right? So how did you guys balance that? Like you have two top tier setters, but only one of you can play. Like, did you ever sense like any jealousy or competitiveness that you guys kind of fired off each other? Or was it always support? Like, how did your relationship with Evan grow that you're both now playing in U sports? I think it was, it was really cool. We actually have a third setter, Yassine, who's at Dow. Oh, so nice. Three setters who play U sports now. Um, which was really cool to be a part of. Um, and I think Evan and I both came from different situations where Evan was a left side for most of his career and then switched over to set in 16U. And I was a setter for most of my career who was switching to more libero. And I think, yeah, nothing but support um, between me and Evan. We always pushed each other. Um, and he grew so much as a setter in the two years that he had uh, started playing. Um, 
And yeah, I think we would be switched out like three or four times in the provincial final. And a lot of coaches like one setter stick with the guy. But I think that our strength was that we could have two different setters come in with two different strengths. Like he's a very athletic, great setter um, who can serve well as well. And I'm more of a, um, I'd say like defensive minded, um, willing to run the offense a lot type of setter. Um, and I think that that helped us win rather than hinder us. Um, and again, it all started in practice with a great compete level between the two of us. And it was pretty cool to have two such different setters um, that coach could put in at any point. Yeah, that's so cool. And thanks for correcting me that, yeah, your team actually graduated three setters who are now playing post-secondary. That's so cool to think yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, so obviously you guys take down provincials. What a high for you. Like you feel like you're healthy, you're competitive. At what point do you start looking towards the next goal and thinking I can make the Canada games roster because obviously COVID had interrupted it. There's still one big tryout to make the team for the games that year and uh, St. Catharines or, or Niagara region, excuse me, but did it feel like a real possibility that you could switch positions? Cause I know you're going to try out as a libero that you could be a Canada games guy, or were you still kind of dipping your toe in thinking what's my injury really like? Well, actually, after provincials, I got really, really sore. So that was another two or three weeks without playing volleyball before tryouts. So going into those tryouts, I actually hadn't played the barrel before. Oh, gosh. So the service seed reps at tryouts were my first service seed reps in nine months. <laughs> um, and I feel like instead of feeling stressed, I felt like I had nothing to lose. And Frank... Frank St. Denise, who's the head coach of that team, really gave me a lot of confidence because I sent him an email throughout the year keeping him updated about my injury. And they were selecting the team based off of the entire OBA year, and I hadn't played. Um, but he still allowed me to come to trials. So I'm really grateful for that. And I, uh, I played well enough to, to make the 16 which was, again, an, an amazing feeling to get that email um, because it had been a goal at service for myself since regional team in 14 U. Um, and yeah, I think that this confidence he had in me to allow me to go to trials still um, was a great feeling and allowed me to play my best. Yeah, how did you feel after the tryout? Because there is that gray period of like, you don't know if you made the team. It's not like they tell the list at the end of the day, the coaches need to evaluate and talk and go have a mm -hmm. meeting. So as an athlete, you leave not knowing, right? So what was it like before you knew, before it was confirmed, like you're going home to eat dinner that night? How did it feel? Uh, first of all, I was, I was really tired. Again, I wasn't really used to playing that much liberos. So I was pretty sore. Um, but then also felt like I was content with what I had been able like to accomplish at the tryouts they actually switched me like 50 50 between setter and the barrel on the last day so I was a little bit confused about what what position i was really getting selected as um but yeah i ended up working out and i felt really content with just being able to play um because again i hadn't been able to for so long so being able to compete with the highest level of volleyball I could really get to in my age group was a really, really special moment for me. So team gets announced, you're fired up, you're on the roster. Mm -hmm. um, take me through the prep. Uh, what did you guys do before the games to get ready? Because uh, you and I were talking before the show and there's, there's provinces who have kind of had their core group together for a really long time. Uh, Ontario because of COVID and some other last minute things. Like I think the core was always together, but it, it was, wasn't confirmed until it was confirmed. You know what I mean? So what was the kind of like the, the pre-tournament like to get you guys to kind of mold together and feel like you were a unit? So before the summer, we had uh, lots of Zoom calls and kind of getting introduced to the group and the plan for uh, the training. And then we had two blocks basically over the entire summer. So July and August, we had our first block at Niagara College where we were training one or two times a day um, up until the Kenna Cup, which is in Calgary. And then we had five days off. And then we're right back at it again at Mohawk College until the Canada Games. So it was really go, go, go right off the bat. And I really was really impressed by how the coaching staff could take 
what was originally, I think, Frank, Frank planned out for a three-year plan um, with practices and what he wanted to accomplish. And he pushed it all into a two-month window. And I think we got a lot, a lot done. And he brought in a lot of cool coaches. Like uh, Ian was there. Shane was there a few times. It was it was really a special summer with the amount of stuff that we got accomplished within two months. And other provinces, again, I think were training for a while before us, which was great for them. But I'm I'm happy with how we came together in that two month window. Now, obviously, you've done well with your club team, even at a national level, and you got other guys on the team like Corey, who had already represented Team Canada. Yeah. So with you being kind of a big volleyball fan and a big person in our community, is it tempting to look at the other rosters and say, oh, this guy's playing for Alberta or, you know, Saskia's Varga? Like, are you guys looking at that or is it mostly focused on what Team Ontario can do? Like, did you get caught up in the size of the event and some of the other athletes or were you just focused on, you know, this is our goal and we're going to keep it in house? I feel like we did a good job at kind of keeping keeping our eyes set on us and how we could win games, um, and we found some some success with that. Um, and yeah, Corey was a great guy to have on on the team because he was he's already been in the the highest stages you could really be at at his age, and I think he did a really good job at being a leader and bringing us together in those big moments and not letting us get too caught up in what other guys were doing because, Hey, we had a big name ourselves in our team. So that was really cool. Um, and yeah, I feel like we did a good job at just staying set on our goals as a group. Now, did any part of the event uh, become a distraction for you? Cause you knew the, the junior national team was going to be selected from this event or for you, Canada games was the prize and that was the tournament you were playing. Like you didn't want to look too far ahead. I didn't really want to look too, too far ahead. Um, my goal was to just win, win the Kenya games if we could. And yeah, I think I was still catching up. I'm still catching up in terms of reps and, and skill levels. So I was just happy to be there and, and play, play as best I could. So as the tournament starts to unfold, um, was there anything special that felt uh, being like the host team? Like, obviously, I know it's in the Niagara region, so hopefully your friends and family could come watch. But what was the mood there? Because obviously, Canada Games is a big deal. I'm sure when Shane and Ian and the other guest coaches came and, and Frank's been to Canada Games before, like it can get magnified pretty quickly. So that first game, did it start to feel like, wow, this is a pretty big special event? Yeah, walking into the gym for the first time, it was it was really cool. We, like you see all the flags up off on the wall. And this fancy, like all the ads on the side, like it, it felt like a true multi-sport event. And I mean, lacrosse was going on right next to us. So it, it was a really cool feeling to walk into the gym for the first time. But again, I felt like the guys stayed pretty set on a where it's just like any other volleyball tournament at the end of the day. And even though we didn't necessarily accomplish our, our prime goal to win a gold medal, I felt like we responded well and we, we ended up getting a bronze, but yeah, walking in for the first time was a really, really special moment because you hear about all these stories of the, the great venues and the moments at, at Kenya games. And it was pretty surreal to actually be able to play in those moments as well. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that the lacrosse was next door. Like, I think they did a great job setting up the venues. Like I think the gym was kind of center, right? Like if people wanted to leave the athlete village and go watch a sport, it was either going to be lacrosse or beach, I think was offset with indoor. They'd go to the gym and watch indoor. Right. So I'm sure every game had an audience for you guys. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really cool. The Ontario community came together really well. So Take me through that semifinal then, because obviously it's hyped up. Ontario wants to win every year. They probably started talking about Canada games if you were listening in some of those presentations and like 60 new team Ontario. So uh, obviously the pressure there is to win a medal. So you get through pool play, you get through your quarter. What was the semi like? Was there was there any nerves or could you sense something was different? Or did Frank kind of guide the guys that it felt the same and you guys were in for a battle? Yeah, I think it felt the same. And Frank does a good job at guiding us and being a calm common fluency. Um, yeah, I think that they were just a great, a great team. Uh, all respect to them. They deserve to win that game. Um, there were a few moments where just a few inches, if the ball had went our way, then I think that it would be a different, different game. But 
it happened. And I was, again, really, really happy with how we bounced back the next day against Quebec in the bronze medal game because I think that showed our character to be able to come out and beat. Like, Quebec is always a tough team to play um, in in the medal rounds. Like, they're always super scrappy, and we'll give it, you know, they'll give it their, uh, their 100%. And so kind of looking at that next game, I'm, I'm proud about how we came back. So take me through that, because I think that's one of the most underrated thing about sport is everybody talks about it. Everybody wants to play for a gold medal, but that opportunity is taken away. So what was like the, the time after the match in the semis to the lead up to the bronze? Like who's talking the most? What's your mood? What are the coaches saying? Because to recover for a bronze game is really hard. Obviously, everyone wants to leave with a medal and that's your only choice. But th- that feeling of not playing for gold can take a lot of athletes a long time to get over. Yeah, I remember Frank talking to us before the bronze medal game on how that moment will really define who we are as a group. And again, I think we really responded well in that in that bronze. But immediately after the semi, there were some tough emotions, obviously. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember what exactly we we did, but I think we kind of just huddled together and realized that hey, our, our tournament isn't over yet. This wasn't a quarterfinal, it was a semifinal. And we still had one more game to show show what we were made of. And I think a lot of guys stepped up in that game really well. And yeah, Corey's leadership really stood out to me in that moment as well, where he he kind of brought the guys back, um, took the team on his shoulders and and did a really good job. Now, with the Canada Games group, because of the the COVID interruption, uh, I mean, Corey deserves a lot of credit because he was already a national team guy, but you already had some guys playing university now. Did that help you confirm between, you know, your HNU club career and playing Canada Games that you were ready for U sports or did it feel like it was still going to be a jump when you got to Waterloo? It was definitely still a jump, but it wasn't as big of a jump from club to university. Um, yeah, we had Jazz, who's university. Um, is the one that stands out, but we were a pretty young team, actually. Uh, we didn't have a single outside who was a university player. We only had club. Um, but it still felt like the jump was not nearly as as big as it could have been from club to university because, I mean, guys are just so much more physical and athletic, even with the like physicality at the Canada Games. So... Um, yeah, it was, it was a really natural transition for sure, but still a steep one. Now, I may have skipped a step here and some of our listeners are annoyed because we love the behind the scenes. When you were mm-hmm. thinking about post-secondary, who else was in the running? Because obviously you being a Preds guy going to Waterloo, I mean, it, it checks a lot of boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, but were you looking in province, out of province, big school, small school? Like who else was on your radar other than Waterloo? So, so I actually decided pretty early that I wanted to commit uh, to a school in grade 11. And so I could focus on school and really get into the S and C of that, of that group that I picked in grade 12. And ultimately it came down to Waterloo or Alberta, U of A. And so those are two really different schools in terms of volleyball and, and uh, academics as well. Where like, obviously at U of A, you've got an incredible volleyball opportunity. Um, but at the end of the day, I couldn't turn down the, academic opportunity at, at Waterloo. And I really felt that we could create a winning culture um, at Waterloo. So ultimately that's the school that I chose and yeah, don't, don't regret it at all. Now, just a, a quick sidetrack of the academics. Uh, I'm really good friends with Alex Boldman. And I remember talking to him when he was going through and you engineers, there's people in your program who aren't varsity athletes and they're barely keeping their heads above water. So you being a varsity athlete, that's a lot of hours and doing this engineering course, how do you manage the time? Like, how are you staying on top of everything? Because both require so many hours that, uh, man, you, you just have to be on it the whole time. It feels like. That's really it. It's just being, being on it all the time. Um, there's not too many, too many breaks. It's like 30, 32 hours of classes uh, a week. And then however many hours of volleyball, basically practicing every night. But I think I can use volleyball as a great, opportunity to take my mind off school and school is a great opportunity to take my mind off volleyball so I think I'm grateful that I can switch between the two so so easily but I mean I'd be lying if I said that it was easy um there's just there's a lot of schoolwork to get done but I think 
the, like the culture that we have at Waterloo is is really to be a student athlete um, and student first. So there's there's other engineers on the team that have been really really helpful um, for me to always ask advice and be able to talk to them about how how academics are going. And yeah, I feel really supported uh, supported in in the atmosphere that I'm in. Yeah, it feels like Waterloo usually has a good mix of like you guys, you're in a pretty strong first year recruiting class, but then there's a good group like just above you, like second years who have probably started to figure it out. But then there always seems to be a fourth or fifth year who knows the way, right? So is, is it a pretty comfortable team room that as soon as you got there, like, you know, you can ask guys for questions or support, like everybody's pretty open to the new guys or how's the rookie culture at Waterloo? It's it's awesome. Yeah, always felt immediately uh, accepted. I mean, in- I'd kind of been a part of the team for a while because I committed so early in my grade grade 11 year. Um, and I kind of grown up doing the Waterloo camps. But yeah, I think the culture is really cool where rookies coming in. I definitely felt like respected, um, which I was grateful for. Now, a few listeners are going to roll their eyes at me and say, well, he was a 5'10 setter and he was winning 18 new provincials. Why can't he set in the OUA? And I'm curious, was this a decision you came to on your own saying, you know what, you're, you're giving up a lot at the net or was this maybe coaches leaned you towards it or maybe it's your ability to pass? Like in your own opinion, I know it's only been one semester, but could you be a 5'10 setter in the OUA this season? Like it'd be tough, right? It would be tough. It would be tough, I think. I'm not, I don't think I'm athletic enough necessarily to be an exceptional blocker in the esports, esports level. And the transition to Libero always was a natural one. It's just where I think, A, I was just thinking about my height and how, hey, I'm only 5'10, not sure how far I can take this setting thing. But I also just loved being a Libero. Um, it's just a completely different side of the game compared to setting. And I, I do really like that, but yeah, hot take or not so hot take. I don't think I'd be a, a great youth sports setter. Um, but I mean, Shane said I am the fourth setter on the team. So, I mean, if three setters go down, then I'm stepping in. <laughs> oh, or maybe one time in practice, you get to run the one side and you win practice and you never let Shane forget. Like, I think setters love that. Uh, you guys always seem oh, to yeah. keep track who's winning drills at practice. It feels like. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. If he gives me the opportunity, then I'll, uh, I'll take it. So as an athlete, where does your mind kind of go? Because the the setters we've had on the show, man, they love to nerd out about the intricacies and how they can like mess with the other team's middle or how, you know, this guy's hot or this rotation versus uh, a libero can be a tough position to play because you can't earn points. So obviously, uh, maybe I'm speaking at a turn that the game just doesn't feel that tactical to me as a libero because your job is to control first contact. So uh, as a setter, what side did you really enjoy? And can you apply that as a libero? I think when I'm playing libero, it's tough because sometimes you, like you don't have as much control over the game as you do as a setter. Um, I mean, as a setter, you're always touching the ball. So you know that, hey, whether we lose or win, a lot of it can come down to how I play. Um, whereas as a libero, you got to focus more on the technique and not, hey, how is this pass going to help us win? It's more like I'm just trying to do my best no matter what. Um, and it's been a difficult it's been a different um, different point of view as a libero um, in terms of like how I'm playing. Like I might have to scratch how we yeah. <laughs> might have to scratch this part out. I'm not really sure what I'm getting at here. Um, but yeah, I think bottom line is playing uh, playing libero and playing setter are two different things. And libero, you got to be more uh, technical. I find, and then also not get too caught up in making mistakes because again, you can never really score. You don't have as much of a direct impact on the game. So it's been a good mental test for me, actually. Um, the, the flip. Now, if you had to change your leadership style, because I'm thinking as a setter, you, you have the carrot, like you're going to deliver the ball. So the outsides tend to have to listen to you, or if you want to run this seam or this gap with your middles, like they're all for it. Cause you're going to give them the ball versus uh, a libero. I think there's still a ton of leadership going on, but now you're pinching passers or moving them around or, or kind of telling the blockers what to do. So uh, I'm curious how you face that challenge where the position's so different, but are you still able to be a leader at both? For sure. I think you, you got it on the, I'm gonna head there that like I can I can lead through our backcourt instead 
And again, I think as a libero, I'm always touching the blockers in front of me, like letting them know what's coming at us, who they have. I might not be telling them what they what they're running directly, which I would as a setter, but I think I can still have an impact on on the leadership side and then in serve receive. Just if if I've watched enough video on the server and know what's coming and know his tells and and what his best serve is, then I'm going to be telling the guy beside me. Um, so I think that's where the leadership change is a little bit different. Whereas setting, I'll be telling guys what to do. And when I'm passing, I'll be telling them what's most likely coming and that I've got them back in this situation um, and other moments like that. Now, obviously with a program like Waterloo, there's some great coaches there, but with you being on court, is that something you kind of pride yourself in? Is just the game plan and knowing, you know what, we got to block the primary shot on this guy right now. So you can tell the blocker, like, are you really focusing on like the tendencies, the shot charts, the rotations? Like, is that something you pride yourself in the prep? Yeah, I've always been a huge fan of numbers um, and I think that helped through club too because we had a subscription to Huddle. I don't know if you know uh, what that's like, but I mean, I would always be watching the, the shot charts and the stats and it hasn't changed in university. So I I find that in tough moments in game too, I can, I can lean on those and lean on the numbers um, where I can find comfort in knowing Hey, I know this guy and I know what his best serve is and I'll be ready for it if he pulls it out. So I think that numbers are a great, great way for me to, to help the team and also help how I'm playing myself. Now that that's fascinating to me because this is the biggest tug of war. I think that uh, as athletes, you guys have to have is, you know, the preparation and you know, the percentages, but nobody in OUA is a hundred percent. They're not going to hit a hundred percent of their mm-hmm. serves here. So how do you not get married to the idea of this is what should happen versus, okay, I'm going to alert for this, but I'm still a physical being. If he tries to rip a serve this way, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's something that I've had to work on a lot actually, where I'm a big numbers guy in school as well. And sometimes it gets to the point where I'm relying too much on numbers and game, which is exactly what you were saying. Um, so I've done a lot of work on just being able to play free at the same time and know that if the if this guy doesn't act exactly as I thought he would in this situation, I'm still able to use the athleticism that I have to to make up for it. Um, but that's a great point. And I think that young athletes should hear that as well. That numbers are a great thing to add to help your play, but shouldn't define it. Now, I am curious with you switching to the libero position, how do you mentally battle with uh, a lot of coaches in OUA and some are switching back, but they'll have a serve receive libero and a defensive libero where sometimes at York, it feels like our, our serve receive guy will go on, we'll side out, he won't pass and he'll come off. And it's like, are you going to touch the ball tonight? Like you're not getting that many reps where uh, I find the libero position, it's so specialized anyways, that maybe if I was doing the lineup part, I wouldn't have two liberos. So uh, are you a fan of the two lip system? Or if you had your choice, you'd say, hey, let me play all the way around here. Hmm. So I think I, I want to do right now, we do two libero system. So for example, I was a defensive libero against Nipissing in our last two games of the season. And I think the defensive libero is especially hard in that way, where sometimes you go an entire set without touching the ball, which is tough, especially coming from the setting background that I have, where I was setting the ball every, every single point. So um, it, it's a different mental challenge that I wasn't, prepared for coming in actually because I'd only ever done a single libero system and in the coming years at Waterloo we will be doing that and I feel like it's the it would be the best for myself personally um but I know Shane's done the numbers and with our current system it's the it's the way that gets us the most success so uh, I trust that but at the same time it's definitely tough sometimes yeah, I love that, that I'm sure Shane, I mean, he's in charge and he's the leader, but if you ask him a question, he typically has a good reason of why we're going to do it a certain way. Oh, and I, I imagine as an athlete, that's pretty freeing that you feel like you can have a say, but if he's going to make a decision, it's backed by something, right? 100%. He always has an answer. So with going from club to university, I mean, don't get me wrong, you guys had a tough schedule, but with you're so used to winning and for you guys to not get a chance to do that in the first semester, like how are you staying optimistic or positive or not being the jerk in the team room being like, guys, I've never lost this much before. Cause the senior guys are kind of like, dude, we're battling, we're doing all we can. Right. So well, without over dramatizing it, how are you dealing with, uh, you know, this isn't club anymore. You're not with the Preds guys. You're going to lose some games and it's going to be really tough. I think it comes down to trust again. 
Um, and it's something that I've, like we're still in the midst of building, obviously, because um, it has been a tough start to the season so far. I mean, we're 0-8. We haven't, we haven't won a game yet. So we're looking to change that second semester. But it, it's a different perspective because I did come from such a successful club club career, but university is a completely different game. And you really have to build up from the bottom. And that's where we are right now. And I think that just over time, you start to believe more and more. And I really do think that we've got a, a culture that believes that we can start um, start to win. And I'm looking forward to this next, uh, next semester here. So... Uh, obviously winning is, is the outcome and that's what like casual fans draw their attention to, but what are some things you guys are anchoring to, whether it's, you know, we got better at running our in-system offense or our serving strategy got better. Like, is, is there any wins you guys can take away without keeping it too like fluffy and you're kind of like, Oh, we lost, but we did this. Cause like, again, I don't want to over dramatize it, but you played Mac twice. You played U of T twice. Uh, Windsor came out of the gates really hot. I think you played them the first weekend. Like if anyone had a tough schedule, it was you guys. Right. So I, I don't want to say mm-hmm. that you are a true O and 18, but uh, a casual fan might say, Oh, proofs in the pudding. They didn't win a game. So it's like, things are tough, but what are you anchoring to, to say, you know what, we, we got a better second semester schedule and we're improving because of this. I mean, our last four games have been our best games, which I think from a coaching standpoint, the coaches are really happy about and then from a player's standpoint, we're really happy about, um, I mean, our passing numbers have been improving throughout the year. And our side out numbers have been slowly improving. So I think being able to have the numbers, and this is where numbers come in in a positive way to show that there are little, little improvements. And it's those little like 1% gains that are going to add up when it comes to April or March and April. And we have to be playing in, uh, in the playoffs or at nationals. And yeah, it's just, I think it comes back to that belief on where, we are getting better slowly and the numbers are showing that. Um, and I think every, every single guy believes that we will get to our, our goal um, and to finish above 500 at the end of the year. Nice. Nice. And obviously you're young and it's your first year and you might feel like you have your whole career ahead of you, but I'm wondering how do you balance that in a team environment where you've got some fifth years and this is their last chance, right? Like we, we have a couple of guys who are graduating this year at York and we're trying to stress to the young guys, this is it. Like this is the only time this team's going to be together. And again, not trying to be dramatic, but just cause you're a first year, you think, Oh, I'm going to do it next year. Or I have another year. It's like your whole team doesn't and we're a unit right now. So how are you balancing that being like, I'm fresh and I'm new, but knowing that there's good guys in their fifth year who got to go for it. Right. Mm-hmm. I think what a lot of the fifth guys have been saying is, fifth year guys have been saying is like, if not now, then when? And I think as a first year, a lot of the times you can get caught up in, oh, I'll just, I'll just work a little bit harder next year. I still have so much time left. But talking to these older guys, and I'm sure you, you've talked to them as well, like your time in university goes by really quick. And you don't want to have regrets at the end of not giving it your full effort 100% of the time. So they've done a good job at kind of instilling that culture. And I think, again, we're, we're waiting to see the results, but uh, I'm proud of how our first year guys have kind of been working and not really giving into that mentality of, Hey, I've still got four more years yet. I might not be playing as much as these guys. Why does it matter? Um, and yeah, again, I'm really happy that we can, we can have that mentality because I feel like that, that that's an issue that a lot of teams face. Man, this is so cool. I, I've been a fan of your career and everything that your club team got to accomplish. And just to hear you explain it and get behind the scenes is so cool. But uh, uh, looking at the clock, I've taken up a lot of your time, but I was hoping you could share just one more story with us to just give us a laugh because uh, obviously you've played at the highest level and you've accomplished a lot, but volleyball is awesome. And I'm sure something odd or funny has happened along the way that I was hoping you could share one more. Yeah, I mean, we brought up uh, Dennis Coda earlier and plays for York, so you'll like this. Um, but yeah, over the summer, there's so many funny experiences with that Kenya Games group. But one that comes to mind is we were playing Manitoba, I believe, and we were down two sets. I was playing libero, I think Dennis was playing middle, and then Frank pulls out just a, like a completely random move, says, I'm going to set, Dennis is going to play the right side. So we, we play Manitoba, we come back two sets, we lose the fifth set, but we came back, almost came back fully. And there's video 
after the game of Dennis getting a huge, massive kill on the right side. And I still regret not setting him as much because he was, he was hitting like 400, I think, in that game. Um, so he had a monster game as a right side. But he got a massive kill and then celebrated by doing a tornado, basically. So he stuck his arms out and then spun around. So ever since then, someone sent him in the group chat afterwards. I think it was Jazz, actually, who named him this, but we called it the tornado. <laughs> so if you go to any video at the rest of the Canada Cup or Canada Games and Dennis gets a big kill, you'll see the entire bench put their arms out and spin. And we'd always yell, tornado, tornado because it's Dennis's tornado uh, celebrations. So <laughs> that's one of my funniest memories I got from over the summer. And I'll always remember Dennis for the tornado. See, I'm a little disappointed because Dennis has never shared this with me. I, I must not have built enough trust where when we talked about Canada Games, obviously it was the result. And then he complained that uh, at training camp, he wasn't fed enough and there wasn't enough food. But that's the only thing I heard. I didn't get to hear about the tornado story. Yeah, you got to bring that up with him. It was, it was hilarious. Well, man, this is so awesome. I'm glad we could find a time. Uh, I know you're obviously busy. We talked about your academics and varsity, but I'm glad exams are over. You're enjoying a little bit of rest time and then you're firing up. Uh, I'm glad you let us in on the behind the scenes, the work that Waterloo's doing. I'm still going to take credit that you get a little bit of a passing dimes bump and that's what's going to turn the Warriors around. But I think it's just a matter of time with the work you're putting in and the talent you guys have. So uh, I'll take a little bit of credit, but we know it's all the guys in the room there. But uh, thanks for sharing all that you did and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Josh. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, hopefully you have a great, great holidays. Now all the listeners have great holidays, too. All right. Thanks, buddy.